Thank you. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks. All right, so this morning we are going to talk about overcoming fears, not like public speaking or, or heights or fear of spiders. I have made my peace with public speaking. Uh, heights, it's you know, easy to avoid heights in your average suburban life. And, and spiders, I'm not afraid of at all. I just choose to avoid them until Stephen comes home. You know, th this Stephen, not, not Stephen, that Stephen. Though if he wants to come over and kill spiders anytime, that's fine by me. I'm not afraid. I just choose not to disturb them until someone else is in the house. Most of us don't really feel afraid most of the time, at least not identifiably so. You know, I'm not afraid. I just like to be in control. I'm not afraid. I just need to be careful. I'm not afraid. I just need to do all my research first. You know, my five-year-old, she just had her uh, preschool graduation in, in May. It was super cute. And she talked a big game about how she was going to sing her graduation song so loud. And Mama, you're going to be so proud of me. We got many stunning renditions of her graduation song all around the, uh, the kitchen table. And graduation day comes, and it's just a cute little, little event. I did not see that girl's lips move once during the graduation <laughs> song. She told me, Mommy, I wasn't nervous. I just really didn't feel like singing. Uh, some of us who grew up in kind of like perfectionistic households, we might have some fear around making a wrong decision or fear of failing or, or messing up. We had a whole bunch of people over at my house uh, a couple of years ago, and I had a sandwich assembly line going on and uh, making everybody's sandwiches. And I asked one of the guys, uh, do you want mustard or mayo? Oh, whichever one, doesn't matter. I mean, which one would you like? Whichever one's easiest for you. Like, well, I have both of them right out in front of me. I'm holding both of them. Like, which one would you prefer? Oh, it doesn't matter. Do you not want one of these? Would you prefer ketchup, something else? Really, what? And I'm like, good night. This is like the most indecisive kid ever. And then I realized he's not indecisive. He's afraid. Like, criticism and critique has just, you know, whichever one's best for you, it really doesn't matter. You're holding both condiments in your hand, whichever one's best for you. You know, some of us have fear of solitude or silence, being really alone. Some of us have fear of intimacy, letting ourselves be fully known. Uh, some of us fear responsibility. Others of us fear insignificance. Some of us fear pain. Others fear pleasure. I think of a friend who had a chaotic childhood, and um, she now exerts a ton of effort into uh, keeping a very strict household with three young children, five, three, and one. It's exhausting for me to just think about what she does, and um, maybe she does just really like a lot of structure and a sparkling clean house, right? Maybe. But it's my, it's my uh, hypothesis that maybe she's also a little afraid and tries to nail down everything, you know, firmly nailed down. I know the faces that my fear takes. Uh, my fear is failure, and my fear is also being fully known. I've already talked a bit about facing fear of failure. I think we kind of have to go through some of it uh, to, to get over it face those fears, um, but for whatever reason, some combination of innate personality and, and upbringing, uh, being fully known has been scary to me. Being fully known, like 
you know, all of my insecurities and quirks, uh, disclosed not when it is a funny story or an interesting anecdote, but when it's annoying and inconvenient. Not like, gosh, Sarah, that's such a funny story. I cannot believe you did that. That's hilarious. But when it's like, Sarah, no, not now. Just stop. Like, not now. Like everyone, I have offenses that I deem excusable, little flaws that, you know, I, I think should be endearing. Like when I don't get gas until it is all the way onto the gas light, and then I'm biting my nails saying, okay, got like one mile to the gas station. I think I can make it. I think I can make it. I think that's excusable. Oh, that's Sarah. She has so many things to do, you know, whatever. But when I forget to pay the, the toll booth fine on the rental car for however many days, and then I get a $100 fine because of it, then I feel bad, and I don't want anyone to know. Right? It's the same side of the coin. It's not even the other side of the coin. It's the same side of the coin. But it crosses some sort of line in myself, and I don't want anyone to know. I remember sitting in a counselor's office outside of Pittsburgh, listing off the things that I would like to work on with her. And I told her, I shouldn't let this bother me. I should be okay with this. Uh, I should do this. I should feel this. And I should not feel that. And she looked at me and she said, you've used the word should a lot. She said, you know, I want you to tell me what you'd like to work on in terms of, you know, descriptive terms and future uh, I want terms. She said, I think you are using your shoulds to beat yourself up. And I looked at her and I honestly thought, isn't that what you should do? <laughs> and I think that sometimes our shoulds mask our fears, though. We say, I should. I should, I should be able to make more money. We have a, we have a fear around failure or, or finances. We say, I shouldn't be so emotional. Some fear over what's churning around down there. You know, I should be okay with this, with this change in my health. I should be okay with this family problem. And we're afraid of letting sorrow or grief in. You know, what's, what's your should? What's your should? I should. You know, should is about obligation, correctness, judgment, d duty. We all have our shoulds. This afternoon, I should clean my kitchen. But God gives us invitations, not obligations. This afternoon, I am invited to love my family well, and that should probably include cleaning my kitchen, but I'm invited to love my family well. God has an invitation for all of us this morning. It's based in love. It's based in welcome. It's warm. It's personalized. It's perfect for you, and it is really an invitation. Like all invitations, we can say no, or we can say yes. It's an invitation for us to lay down our shoulds, Take a look at our fear and let Jesus transform who we really are with his love. Let's pray together and then we're going to turn to our scripture this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you come to us in love, that you do not have an agenda for our lives. You do not have to-do lists for us as Christians, but you come to us 
with love. You are not a helicopter parent. You do not have a to-do list for us. You want to meet with us in love. So we open our hearts and our minds to you this morning. We, we just pause and lay aside the distractions of our, our weekend, our week, our day, the week that's coming up. We look to you, Jesus. We thank you for what you have given us. We thank you for who you are in our lives. We thank you for how you have blessed us. And we thank you that you welcome us in this morning in love, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture this morning is from uh, John's letter to um, uh, the church that he started, uh, 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God equals love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. God has taken action on his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought into full expression in us. How we love each other is super important. No one has seen God, but if we love each other, God is like made manifest in us in some way. This is big. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. Friends, if you have declared that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in you and you live in in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in in his judgment, in his rightness. We have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. We can get better at this. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. I want to be able to say that, that I live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love casts out fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. Amen? Amen. You know, fear is something we don't often realize that we have. About a year ago, uh, I went out to visit my sister after uh, the birth of her third child, 
cute little baby, baby Grace. I managed to make it out, uh, I think, two weeks after the baby was born. So she's just still so little, little, and just adorable. And, uh, you know, I helped my sister out with some things after, after her birth. But, you know, she's, by number three, she's actually handling it really well. And on our last day there, she said, let's take the, the kids and, and go see the sights around Chicago. Um, so my nephews are five and, and three at the time, and they love the planetarium. So in my last day there, I, I loaded up my suitcases in, into the car, and the, my sister toured us around Chicago. We went and saw the planetarium with the boys, which was super fun. Got some dinner. Um, by that point, actually, we, things were... I needed to really rush to make my flight a little bit, so she drops me off at O'Hare, hugs all around at curbside, drop off, um, and then I, I rush through security. I get to security, and I open up my purse to get out my driver's license, and I'm horrified to find in my purse her car keys. She has one of those keyless ignitions, and uh, you just have to have the keys in the vicinity and then push the button. I had not driven the car the entire day. I had only had the keys to go and pack my suitcase at about 9.30 in the morning, and she had driven around the whole rest of the day. So I call her. Oh, I'm so sorry I got your keys. That's fine. We're only about six minutes away from the airport. I'll just drive around, meet me at the same spot that, you know, I dropped you off. This is fine, right? I go up to the same spot. Whew, I think I can make it. Six minutes, six minutes. Six minutes, come and go. My sister calls me. I'm so sorry. The baby was crying. I pulled over into a McDonald's parking lot. I, I nursed the baby for a couple of minutes. I turned off the car. So she's sitting in an empty McDonald's parking lot with three young children and no car keys. So she loads up the kids into an Uber. I just, I, it's either stay here or, or whatever. Um, I give the car keys to a Southwest ticketing agent who becomes the real MVP of this story. And she waits for the keys, sees the woman with three young children, gives her the car keys, walks her out to the curb, waves goodbye, and texts me to tell me that I have not ruined everything and my sister got her keys back. Whew. The point is that fear is like a keyless ignition. We just operate in it. It seems fine. We drive around, and we do not even realize that the person who lives halfway across the country has the keys. We don't recognize its influence. We don't realize that we even have it half the time. So I always thought that fear uh, was having these thoughts, being afraid of bad things happening, and you should be confident and stop having these thoughts. That's actually worry. Worry is a thought. Anxiety um, is a more like neurological state, and stress is a condition. Fear, however, David Benner in his book, Surrender to Love, lays out uh, the Danish uh, Christian philosopher Soren Kierkegaard and what he has to say on fear. And I'll be honest, when I read this book six months ago, I was a little annoyed that I was in my mid-30s and hearing this for the first time. He says that fear is more than just stop thinking bad things are going to happen. He says that fear is when the human spirit is afraid of itself. And this can be simply, you know, that we are afraid we won't have the answer. We will be called to the front of the class in life, and we will not be able to do it. It can be, be afraid of embarrassing ourselves. We feel shame or embarrassment that one time when we did this one thing that embarrassed us, and so we retreat from the stage so as not to embarrass ourselves again, or we are afraid of our feelings, of our depths of emotion, of sorrow, or depression. We are afraid of our sexual feelings or a lack of sexual feelings. We're afraid of having needs. 
We're afraid of disappointing people or being needy. How many of us are not 100% comfortable with everything inside here? How many of us stuffed things back in there a long time ago and said, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll deal with it later and stuffed it back in there? That's fear. And he says that fear is often a substitute for guilt, that something has happened that we feel bad about. It could have been our fault, could not have been, but there's some sense of failure, some negative reflection on yourself that manifests in fear. This is very common in people um, who have been through abuse or, or trauma. The shame of it becomes fear, something associated with that abuse. It reminds us of some time that we feel like we failed, we let other people down, we did not live up to expectations. It's subconscious. And then lastly, he says, and this should be obvious to us in some ways and is really what we want to deal with, that unresolved guilt and this fear inhibits love. Our guilt makes us feel bad, like we deserve punishment. Guilt is associated with punishment. Our guilt makes us feel bad or even dangerous, unworthy, dirty, dangerous. And it's hard for us to give and receive love freely. My uh, grandmother, her go-to line was, I've always been made to feel that I was no good. And this is very sad. In the matriarch of a family, you know, 70, 80-year-old woman, for some reason it's centered around cooking. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, she was a, um, you know, unscrew the can kind of a cook, but nobody seemed to mind that. Everyone was like, yum, spam. You know, it was the 1950s. But it's a little bit of a downer at a family gathering. We, you know, we had some Italians marry in. You know, when my aunt would make a wonderful lasagna and everybody would be enjoying it, and she would say, I was no good as a cook. I was always made to feel that I was no good as a cook. This inhibits love. No one minded. I, I'm not sure what was behind all of it, right? But guilt inhibits, fear inhibits love. One of the things I've learned about myself, um, you know, I'm pretty social and friendly. I like people, but I'm also very task-oriented. One of the things m one of my coaches says is that love has a hard time landing on me, just sticking to me, right? I'm like, oh, that was a lovely experience. You know, we had a great time. What's next? Right? And he's given me some tools and practices to help love land on me. That's what he says. Um, so he says, just take 30 seconds. Kind of think what you're grateful for. But more than that, think who you're grateful to. And that let that love land on you and, and stick on you in that way. So I'll, I'll do that sometimes and just think through. Oh, I have a cup of coffee. It was made by my husband. That's why I receive that, right? I choose to stick in that place and stay in that place. The sun feels wonderful. Thank you, Jesus, for the sun. I'm receiving love in that way. Perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Let's talk about punishment real quick. God is our good heavenly father. And good parents don't punish, they discipline. Punishment uh, makes us feel bad about bad choices. Discipline empowers us to make better choices and to fix 
our problems. Dis punishment says you did a bad thing. Discipline says you can do better. And you know, sometimes there's a little bit of overlap between them. This is a growth point for me in my own parenting. But God, our Heavenly Father, does not punish. He empowers and he trains up and he disciplines. Punishment was never meant for us sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are not meant for punishment. But training and raising up is part of our life as sons and daughters of God. All punishment was taken on by Jesus himself. God, our Heavenly Father, is just and righteous, and he condemns evil, the bad things in this world. It's not right. It does not belong. He judges our sin, our jealousies and mistakes. It's not okay. It does not belong in the children of God. He judges it, and as he sits on the judgment seat, his condemnation is correct. The bad things in this world is correct, but as he judges it, he gets down off his judgment seat. He takes off his judge's robes. He comes down to the floor as the person of Jesus Christ, and he says, I will take the punishment on myself. I will make restitution myself. I will take this on myself. I will pay the fine. Jesus paid for everything. Jesus paid for everything, and his check is good. God condemns the wrong in the world, and as he condemns it, his judgment is correct, but he takes that condemnation on himself, and he pays that price in the person of Jesus Christ through his death to cover it and through his resurrection to overcome it and bring us into new life. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We often think of God as punishing. If he doesn't hold us accountable in some way, then we've reduced him to like this cosmic Santa Claus, this nice old man, and I have no need of Santa Claus anymore. Or we think of God as negotiating. He has high standards, so I'll do that and he'll give me this. You know, I'll make this thing right and then he'll give me this. We negotiate with him. God does not negotiate. God gives. And God gives and God gives and God gives. And the only right response when someone gives you a gift freely, out of love, is to accept it. God loves. He has loved us through Jesus, through the work of his death and his resurrection. God is love. First John says in the message version, when we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in love and God lives in us. We can move into this spot, friends. We can live here. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us so that we're free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. There is no room in love for fear. Real love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is one that is not yet fully formed in love. We, we though, we are going to love, to love and be loved. First we were loved, now we love. He loved us first. This is the point of being Christian. This is the point of being human, is to learn 
love. Love is what makes our souls. It's what makes us people. And learning to love is the reason for our existence. You know, I think of the people who have loved me well, the pastors, the mentors, you know, who saw giftings in me, who saw the good in me and chose to, you know, really interact with me out of that place. I think of, you know, my parents, family, and friends who really, truly loved me. It could have been really short interactions, you know. It didn't have to be, you know, these lifelong things, but who really called out good in me. You know, I think of my husband. You know, some of us, our spouses are the ones who have seen us at our very worst, right? When we were dating, I I had this dog. And, um, you know, I don't want to go into really subjective statements, but I do have a degree in theology. So this dog was the kind of dog that God would have had. He was big. She was big, but, you know, not too big, a good 60 pounds, pure black lab. I got her when she was one years old from, from the rescue, and um, she had these silky, soft black ears that were just like velvet, and she could just run and run and run for miles. She had boundless enthusiasm, and I would just bury my face in her fur and say, oh, you're the best dog ever. And uh, then I started dating Stephen, and he has serious uh, dog allergies, and um, he would look at me just burying my face in this dog's fur, and he's like, I can feel my throat constricting and my eyes starting to well up. And, um, and the dog was super nice to him. You know, let me tell you, you know, God's dog really loved him <laughs> enthusiastically and well all the time, and I would just sit back and be like, oh, isn't it cute? And he'd be like, the dog is mauling me over here. And, uh, so we had known each other for a couple months, and we were out on a walk, and, you know, I was very excited and talking fast, because, you know, sometimes when I'm in enjoyable company, I get, I get very chatty, and um, one of the things that uh, Stephen also did not quite appreciate about my beloved dog was um, that it would have to stop and do its business on what he intended to be nice romantic walks, and it was not a small dog, um, <laughs> and it was starting to get cold, too, so there was steam, you know, and... Um, so I, I stop, and I'm a responsible dog owner, and then um, I'm carrying this bag. <sighs> and I really like this guy. <sighs> I'm like, Stephen, I know, I know this is not really what you would like to be doing. And uh, he's like, no, no, I like being out here with you. And then for the first time ever, he reaches over, and he holds my hand. And my mind just goes blank, and I have nothing to say. For the next 10 minutes, I'm totally mute and silent. But I think in some ways that that kind of sums up our relationship. That there are things about me that Stephen is not 100% enthusiastic about. Some of them are on me. Some of them are not. I would like to reiterate, it was a very nice dog. (laughs) But we are who we are, right? I am who I am. He is who he is. Um, We now have a hypoallergenic dog, so the problem is solved. But love is not about a person's pros and cons list. Love is not about a person's pros and cons list. If I perfectly fit all the pros lists, it probably just would not work. Love is about a love that comes from the heart of God, 
rejoicing over his creation, everything he has made, rejoicing over mountains and different cultures and ocean sunsets, rejoicing in the swirling beauty and complexity of people and choosing to enter in with and for us on our side. Friends, I will never have it made. I just won't. I will always have my quirks. I'll always have whatever. I will never have it made. But what I always will have is just an ocean of God's mercy and God's grace in which I can choose to swim. Deep down, I still feel like a little girl, right? I still have my insecurities. I feel like there's some secret I'm missing out on. I get stressed. I get frustrated at myself or at life. I'm not the person I wish I was. But the only thing that has really ever changed that is love. Every real growth step I have taken has been because of love. I've never been guilted or coerced into self-improvement. I've never been prodded or nagged into health and wholeness. But I have been loved into health and wholeness. And I have been loved by Jesus into life that is true and real and meaningful. Friends, this morning, I think that the Holy Spirit wants to release us from some of our fears and wants to make the total operating system of our hearts love. That we relate to God and each other out of a place of security and love where we have received the love of God and we can give it out to other people. Let's stand, worship team, if you want to come on back up. Let's just stand and pray together if you want to um, put your hands out in a posture of just receiving God's love this morning. This morning we receive your love, Jesus. We kind of receive the victory that is your love. We win when we live in a place of love. We do not live when we li- we do not win when we live in a place of competition or striving or worry. We win when we live in a place of love. So we step into that. And we ask, Jesus, that you would uh, seep into those hidden places in our heart and our mind. Would your love leave no room for our fears, Jesus? We say this morning that we do want to make love our aim and our purpose. We claim responsibility for that. We want to pursue that. So easy to claim responsibility for so many other things, success, this or that responsibility. We want, we want to make love our, our goal, make love our aim. And Jesus, we pray, um, releasing from those inner things that hold us back. Would you make us comfortable with ourselves? with what's in there, Jesus. Would you open that closet of what's inside of us? Because you love what's inside that closet. 
You died for it. You've redeemed it. You've purified it. We give you the inner places of our hearts this morning, Jesus. We give you shame, guilt, embarrassment, Jesus. Would you take it away? We relinquish it to you this morning. morning we are not bound by our personality or our past we're released in you we're released to good things in you jesus we thank you and we praise you in jesus name amen